And turn with me to Genesis, if you would, foundations we've been studying together. Sort of taking up where we left off, but again, I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground if we can. I have a few stopping places in my notes, more than one, depending on how it goes. So Genesis 22, verse 19 says, So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Father, please help us tonight in every way to be taught, instructed, convicted, guided, Lord, by your word. We sang earlier that we're standing on the promises, and these are promises. This is the book of promise from the one who cannot lie, and we thank you for that. Help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, when we concluded our study in Genesis 22, you'll remember we noted that after Abraham was stayed, was kept from sacrificing his son Isaac, verse 19 says that Abraham returned unto his young men, as we just read. In other words, you'll notice that it is conspicuously, this text uh, leaves Isaac out of the narrative. And Isaac stays out of the narrative all the way through the rest of this chapter, all the way throughout chapter 23 and most of chapter 24. In fact, he doesn't even reappear until he comes for his bride, Rebekah. We also noted, you'll recall, how that is a fitting chronology because there is Mount Moriah, as you know, where he uh, took up his son, the same place as Mount Calvary in the New Testament where Jesus was crucified. There's this event where the father... Uh, and his son is resurrected. And then he will not be seen again. We're talking about Jesus at Mount Calvary until he is also getting his bride. Look again, chapter 22 and verse 19. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor. Now, in a chapter that describes Abraham taking his only son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, in a chapter that's considered by, by many, if not most, Bible students to be the most dramatic text in all of the Old Testament, it just seems a little anticlimactic to end that chapter with a genealogy, and especially a genealogy of Abraham's brother. And it would be strange, and it would be anticlimactic, except for one thing. And that's the fact that there's a name given in this chronology. And it's given in verse 23. And Bethuel begat Rebekah. You see, the purpose for Nahor's genealogy here is that it includes Rebekah and brings her, introduces her, if you will, into this whole story. And again, his timing is perfect because Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, and the first fruits of Calvary was the church, that is, the bride of Christ. And, you know, we, beloved, you know, who were it not for the direct line of, of promise, we were brought in by marriage, if you will, to the Father's own beloved Son. And so, isn't it interesting that the longest chapter in the entire book of Genesis, that's 67 verses, the longest chapter in this foundational book is not a chapter about creation. I would have guessed that. It's not a chapter about the flood, the Tower of Babel, none of that. But rather, the longest chapter in Genesis is the story of Isaac getting his bride. Again, in 67 verses, as one great preacher said, the Holy Spirit lovingly lingers over the details 
of how Rebekah became Isaac's wife. And why? Because, folks, as fascinating and beautiful as the story itself is, and it is beautiful, it's filled with local color and warmth and great instruction, it is also a full-length revelation, if you will, of how the father's son obtains his bride. In this case, the church. You know in the New Testament, the New Testament church is called the Bride of Christ. And of course, just before the Holy Spirit relates this wonderful story, he first takes an entire chapter to tell us about Sarah's passing, Sarah's death. Chapter 23, verse 1. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. You know, women by nature are notoriously stingy about telling, giving away their age, right? It's a, gr a great secret in many cases, sometimes a greater secret than our nuclear launch codes or whatever. And it's interesting that the Bible sort of respects that, it seems, because Sarah is the only woman in all of Scripture whose age at death is recorded. Lots and lots of men, their ages are recorded, but only Sarah. And as we just read, she was 127 years old, and what a long, amazing life she's had. This chapter is essentially all about this wonderful woman's funeral. We read in verse 2, you'll see that Abraham came, and it says, he wept for her. He cried, tears in his eyes. And it's just a reminder there is nothing wrong with a believer who sheds tears of heartache over the losses of this life. Abraham loved Sarah, and he was sorrowful. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we quote at almost every funeral, we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. Abraham knew where Sarah was, and through those blinding tears in his eyes, he could see by faith that she was in glory and that he would soon join her there, home at last. But first, there's a need. He sees to it that his beloved wife is buried, where? Right in the land of Canaan. It's interesting that, you know, when Abraham buys a cave in Genesis chapter 23, and you can read that sometime, he buys this cave as a burial ground for his wife. It's the only time in his long life of pilgrimage that he purchased, that it's recorded that he purchases any property. Later, there's another cave, as you know, that would become the burial place for Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah and Abraham himself. So, Picture in your mind Abraham, this old saint of God, tear-stained cheeks. He says farewell now to his beloved Sarah. And then imagine, if you will, the sudden sense of urgency that comes upon this white-haired patriarch because he remembers that he has a son. And his son Isaac does not have a bride. Chapter 23, let's read it together, shall we? Notice, go down to verse, mm, verse 20. It says, And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure or certain unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house. Now, let me stop here for a minute. Does anybody know who his eldest servant was? Some of you know Eliezer, right? Did you know that this entire chapter he's going to be referred to over and over and over again? But never once is his name given. His name's given before this. He's always called his, elder, his servant or his eldest servant. And I think you'll see why towards the end of the, end of the text. 
And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. That's an old custom when you would make a, a sort of a contract with someone. You put your hand, I'm glad it's not the custom anymore. I don't want to put my hand under Kevin's thigh and have him do anything for me. Verse 3, And I will make thee swear by the Lord God of heaven and the God of the earth that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, peradventure, suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Now, folks, you talk about pressure. Suppose your boss, and he's really more than a boss, the patriarch, told you to travel 500 miles on camelback to get his only son a bride. Who do you look for? I mean, it's obviously a girl. But how would you know who and which one? What's Isaac going to think about it? And not only that, beloved, but this woman, whoever and wherever she is, will not only be the wife of your boss's only son, but according to God's promise, she's going to be the mother of a great nation and eventually a woman in the line of Ruth and David and Mary and the Lord Jesus himself. So Abraham's servant is understandably concerned. And he says, Master, what if she won't come back with me? If I even do find this person, what if she should, should I take Isaac back to her? And he answers that question out of conviction. Verse 6. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou, that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of, of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt make a wife, take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither or there again. In other words, now follow this carefully. Abraham with consistent faith. Now remember, he's an old, old man now. That promise was given a long time ago. But here he is with this strong faith. He remembers the promise of God. He remembers the, the covenant of God. And he encourages his servant by reassuring him. And then he says, now go. Do what I say and obey my faith. Chapter 24, notice verse 10. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. Notice again, the servant. Why is he anonymous? Why not give his name? He never does. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nehor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city or outside the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee. You know, you should always pray about things, just everything. I pray thee, I ask thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel of whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that hast, thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and hereby shall I know 
that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. All right, it's a familiar story, I think, for most of you here, but it's a pretty amazing picture. The father, willing to sacrifice his son, sends an anonymous servant with gifts. He sends him to go out to get a bride for his son, the only son of the father. And of course, you go from this very beautiful picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the New Testament church, which is being called out by the Spirit after Calvary. You go from that typology, if you will, right back to this fascinating, ordinary, everyday element of what's happening in this story. You see, here's Abraham's faithful servant. Now, now follow this and picture it. He's traveled a long distance, hundreds of miles. He's hot. He's exhausted. He's probably starving. The camels are in need of water. In fact, a lot of water. And as he rests, the Bible says, beside a well, finally at his destination, he prays. No doubt he's been praying through this whole journey. He prays, and in his prayer, having no clue as to which women of these women that are coming, which one to choose, he proposes a test, and it's not a small one either. He says, Lord, I'm going to ask one of the women who comes, one of them, for a drink. The Hebrew word there is sip. It's like a sip of water. And the one who agrees to that, not only, who agrees to not only give me a sip of water, but in addition, who offers to draw out water for all of my camels, that's the girl. Now remember, this man had ten camels. We just read that. One camel who's thirsty can drink five gallons of water like that. So now you're talking about 50 gallons she's offering to pull out in a hot, arid country. That's a major undertaking, and especially to do it for a stranger, and especially when the stranger doesn't ask you to do it. In other words, this would reveal this woman's servitude, her character, her kindness, her diligence. If you think about it, just on a practical level, okay, we'll get to the rest of it in a minute, but that single response to a simple request would tell this servant that such a girl was a jewel and no doubt a perfect woman for Isaac. Well, verse 15, And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out. That's pretty amazing. He's speaking. What's he speaking? He's praying. Lord, how about I do this if, 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 and before he's finished, a woman shows up. And her name just happens to be Rebecca. She came out, and then it says, verse 16, and the damsel was very fair or beautiful to look upon. A virgin, neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Wow. So before the servant apparently even says amen, the first girl shows up to get water. It just so happens that she's beautiful. She's never known a man, and, and she is of Abraham's family. In other words, it's pretty obvious that this is no mere coincidence in the story. It's not an accident that, in fact, this was a meeting on earth that had already been planned in heaven. Those happen a lot, amen? A lot. You say, Pastor, then why go through all of this, the machinations of the test and the 
character test by the servant. Why, why the need to look for her response for how she acted? Why not just show up and ask God to put a mark on a woman? The first woman who shows up with this and so on. Well, folks, that's what's great about these stories. Because it's mainly to remind us that this is the way that God always works. You see, these events of Beloved are about as human, they're about as natural as you can imagine. These are life's ordinary circumstances going on. And for sure, Rebecca has no idea what's happening behind the scenes. She's just a pure, godly, hardworking teenage girl doing her job on a hot, dusty day when all of a sudden a stranger appears. So, go back in your mind again to the imagery here. The Holy Spirit of God is in this world to get a bride for the Father's Son. How does He do it? How does the Holy Spirit, how does any person come to hear and to know about the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, it is, almost, it is always through life's ordinary circumstances. If you think about it, the greatest miracle that ever occurs in the world, which is salvation, is surrounded by everyday events. A visit here, a chance meeting there, an unexpected conversation, a book or a tract that's passed on from another person, a Bible place in a hotel room, a service in a jail, a late night radio show that someone just happened to turn on, a message at a funeral. In a thousand different ways, in ordinary life, the Holy Spirit of God is at work. And the Holy Spirit is at work until at last the gospel is presented when and where God has designed. And it's that moment of decision. That was the servant's way with Rebecca, and that is the Holy Spirit's way with the soul. In tonight's text, it's crystal clear that Rebecca is the woman of God's choice. I mean, look, folks, all through this story, you're going to see this, but all through this story, you see the will of God, the providence of God, the glory of God, the promise of God, all of it is on display. Now, look, understand you cannot allegorize, you cannot take spiritual lessons from just any old love story or, or, or story of marriage, not even from every story in Scripture. You know, Solomon, for example, had a thousand wives, but that doesn't mean there's a thousand wonders for us to learn from that, except to wonder why he ever decided to do such a thing. But this story and this chapter, you'll notice, is entirely different. Do me a favor and just look at this really quick with me and notice how the story is saturated with the presence of God. Verse 3, and I will make thee swear by the Lord God of heaven. Verse 7, the Lord God of heaven. Verse 14, the last part, Hereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. Across the page, verse 21, How the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. The last part of verse 26, And worshipped the Lord. Verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of the Lord God of my master. The last part of that verse, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house. Verse 31, and he said, come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Verse 35, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. Verse 40, and he said, the Lord before whom I walk. Verse 42, O Lord God of my master Abraham. The last line of verse 44, the woman whom the Lord hath appointed. Verse 48, and a 
bowed down thy head and worshiped the Lord. The last line of verse 51, as the Lord had spoken. Verse 56, seeing the Lord had prospered the way. Look, I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop. You get the point, right? This chapter is filled with the presence of God and the, and the will of God. And we come to verse 60. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. That's a prophecy, beloved, that remains in, in the nightly news even to this very day. There's a prophecy right there. So again, this is, yes, a remarkable chapter. It is filled, as we noted, with the presence and the providence and the power of God. Now, now remember this. Hear this carefully. All of this goes right back to the very beginning. The very beginning of our study with the fall of man, the promise of a seed of a woman, Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, Noah and the flood, God's promise to send a redeemer to fallen man who's just hopeless, the flood and Sodom and all of it. And that the son of Shem, who's the son of Noah, would have a descendant and God would choose him. And from that nation, there was this promise from God that included a host of descendants that would rival the stars in the heaven. Children, the Bible says, as the sand of the sea. But here's the practical problem. The problem is that Abraham has one son. He has one son of promise, only begotten son, and he's still not married. At 40 years of age, at this point, Isaac is still living at home. It's a reminder, beloved, I think, that we sometimes are in a much bigger hurry than God is. This chapter begins with the fact that, as verse 1 says, Abraham is old and well stricken in age. Not only that, but as we just noted, his wife, Isaac's mother Sarah, has just recently passed away. Sarah never knew, think about this, Sarah never knew her daughter-in-law to be, Rebecca. As close and dear as she was to her son Isaac, and she was, she never saw, not on this earth, who or if her son would marry, nor would Rebecca know her mother-in-law. For Sarah, she may have wondered, there in her old age, and she's about to die, she may have wondered, you know, in those final days, how's God going to keep this promise? My son doesn't have a wife. For Abraham, well stricken in age, he may be wondering as well, He's 40 years of age. There's nobody in the land where they're at but idolaters for him to marry. And that's for a man of faith. That's not an option. You know, Abraham and Sarah, if you remember just a few weeks ago, several times they tried to force God's plan through compromise. But this time he remembers and he quotes God's promise. Unto thy seed, God said to Abraham, will I give this land? I was thinking about Sarah. And, you know, I was thinking about her going to her grave, waiting and looking for the bride of her son. And this promise, I mean, all that she can trust in is the absolute and the unfailing certain promises of God. And I thought, you know, how many believers since the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said when he ascended, I will come again. How many believers for the past 2,000 years waited and waited and, and trusted God for the bridegroom's return. So many, like Sarah, 
going to their graves, having received, not having received the promise, but still, like Paul, faithfully believing it in faith. There have been millions of believers through history who lived and died and who wondered, for example, how and when Israel would ever become a nation again. Think about that. For centuries, the first century, the, t- the 13th century, 14th century, 15th century, that was an impossibility for there to be a nation again. But, and though it never seemed possible, it has happened and continues to happen because God always keeps his word. Verse 16, go back a little bit, would you? And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her. (laughs) Of course he did. That's a long trip, right? Hey, first girl, who knows? And said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. There's that sip. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted. And let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. You know, his heart must have been pounding in his chest. Just because, you know, remember, the, remember what the, the test was? Man, I wonder, I wonder. Because she, remember, she's pretty. Check. She's beautiful. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hastened and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels and the man wondering wondering at her there again is that anonymity the man the man wondering at her held his peace to it whether the lord had made his journey prosperous or not now let me just cut to the chase we'll come back to this in a moment all of these details is leading to one question for rebecca That's down in verse 58. Look at it with me, would you? This is later in the story, of course, same time frame, but later. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Now, look up here for a minute. Let me ask you a question. If you're Rebekah, and really out of nowhere, a stranger shows up with an offer of marriage to a man who's 40 years old and still living with his mom. He's hundreds of miles away in a land you've never seen and never been to. What would you say to this question? I mean, this is an invitation. This is an offer. This is an opportunity, but it's also an eternal commitment. Because they're not asking Rebecca, will you go on a blind date? They're not asking her, will you go to the mall, to a concert? They didn't say, wilt thou go with this man to a four-year college? This is the most important and permanent decision of her life. And the question again is, what would you say if you're Rebecca? Well, what if, I mean, out of nowhere it seems a stranger comes, what if this stranger also said to you that this man in this far away country is the son of Abraham, the chosen of God. And this man, he's waited patiently and faithfully for the will of God, according to the promise of God. And that this man is going to carry on a prophesied blessing that will bring glory to the entire world. And oh, by the way, also, he's really rich. 
He has lots of money. In fact, this is the first thing that, that Rebecca learned about the nature of this man's household. Look at, go back to verse um, 21. And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey to prosper or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, had to take some time, she's got to be sweating and sore, that the man took a golden earring of half shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. This is coin. I mean, jewelry, you know, works every time on women, I'm told. Look at verse, go down to verse 47. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter art thou? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bare unto him. And I put the earring upon her face and the bracelets upon her hands, and I bowed down. I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham. In other words, before she answers the question, will you go? Look at all that she's seen. Look at what she just saw this man do in worshiping the true God. Before she ever heard this offer to follow, you understand that she already had a lot of truth and a lot of glory in which to place her faith. She may not know exactly where this mystery man was from, but she knows now where he's going. And she knew that where he was going was the will of God. I mentioned jewelry in jest, sort of, but it wasn't the jewelry at all. You know, the Bible says in verse 16 that, that Rebekah was young and pure and very fair to look upon. It also says in verses 19 and 20 that she hasted. She not only wanted to give water to Eliezer, to the servant, but to ten of his, of his camels. And what does it say at the end of verse 19? We emphasize it. It says, quote, until they have done drinking. In other words, beautiful with a servant's heart. So that you see the question to follow had a very positive ring for the heart of a person like this, a servant spirit. And so it is when the question is asked in kind. If the spirit of God says to a selfish soul, will you go? It's a fearful thing instantly. It's, it's a troubling and a doubtful thing. What's her answer? Verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. By the way, you do know what had just occurred leading up to this question, if you know the story. Eliezer knew, he knew that this was a match made in heaven, literally. Bethuel, her father, Laban, also said in verse 50, quote, this thing proceedeth from the Lord. They also knew it as well. The only difference is, she was ready now, they wanted to wait. They weren't ready. They wanted more time. Let's read it. Verse 55, And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. And after that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. What will she say? You know, think about this for a minute. We as parents love it when our children, in hearing our desire or our request or a command, simply says yes. Son, I want you to do this, yes. Teenage daughter, will you go? Will you do this? Will you stop doing that? And without asking, imagine this, a teenage daughter, without asking, without whining, without grumbling, without negotiating, man, 
What a joy when a child says, whatever you, whatever you ask, I'll do it. Yes, I will go. Well, as a child of God, wouldn't it be amazing if more often we would simply say without hesitation, yes, Lord? The Lord convicts us about something and we say, yes. Maybe it seems troubling or whatever. You say, I trust you. Verse 67, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let me say this. The Bible says that love is of God. Love is not of Hollywood. Love is not of top 40 music. Love is not of secular humanistic society. They have no idea what love is. Love is of God. It is from God. It is by God. It is through God. It's in God because the Bible says God is love. So you know what? If a young damsel in a faraway Mesopotamia really wants to find love, to be loved, to know love, what better way, what better thing could she have done than to follow God's will. It says this man Isaac, he loved her. You know, I notice in the next chapter, in verse 20, it says Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Verse 21, it says Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. That means he prayed for her. This was a man of God because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him. Man alive, Rebecca could have stayed in her own land and met a thousand men who would never love her as Isaac would. Love is of God. Isaac took Rebecca as his wife and he loved her. You notice the last line of verse 67 says, And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That fulfills the true mandate of marriage. For this cause shall a man leave and cleave. We find also in the chapter that when she comes on the scene, Isaac sees her from far away. Look at this. This is, to me, one of the most precious scenes, powerful scenes in the Bible. We're back in chapter 24. Look at verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. I told you he's a man of God. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. I wonder how much time had passed. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. You know, this is kind of like a, the ultimate blind date. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? Who's this guy? Well, when I see this picture, I realize that Isaac saw her. Isaac found as much love as Rebekah did. Because, folks, love is of God. And whether it be a mother's love for her children, or a father's love, or a child's love, a husband or a wife, whether it be the love of the sibling, a brother, a sister in, the, in Christ, the way to find that love is to follow and do the will of God. You get outside God's will, and it's really not love. Now, I have just enough time. I want to close with something that, that goes to the, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we see pictured here in chapter 24. Chapter 24 and verse 29, we read these words. Turn back there really quick. Verse 
And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban, and Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. Now, let me tell you about this man Laban. You're going to discover more about him in chapter 30, but basically Laban was a rogue. You find out that this was a man who also is a bit of a type, if you will, especially in this story. His eyes went right to the jewelry, which we read just a moment ago, right to the gold, which he also received in verse 53. In addition, he's always tending to hinder. We read it a moment ago. Hinder me not. Trying to hinder the work of the servant. In other words, look, here's a man who has a lot of heirs, if you will, in New Testament Christianity. And specifically, those who are around the work of God, but who are mostly impressed and fascinated not with Abraham the father or Isaac the son, but rather with the gifts of the servant. Now look, remember, as far as the servant's concerned, and as far as the father is concerned, the gifts are just to get the attention of Rebekah. The gifts are only for a temporary significance, and that is to turn the heart of the bride toward Isaac. What really matters is the father, and the son, and the bride, and what the spirit, the servant, was called to do. But crafty old Laban, he's like a lot of Labans today. He's only concerned with the fringe benefits, the glittering gold of this family. Verse 32, And the man came into the house and ungirded his camels and gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, and he said, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. Think about that for a minute. Hey, come on in. Let's have a good time. Let's sit down. Let's do this. No. I'm not here. It's not about the jewels. And the, 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 I will not eat, the servant said, until I have told what I've come for. The servant was not there for himself. He was not there to speak about himself. And this, beloved, is exactly the nature and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is here to draw the bride's attention to the groom. And with Rebecca, that is exactly what happened. Her heart was so warmed by what she heard about Abraham and Isaac that given the option to go immediately or to wait a few more days, she didn't want to wait at all. The chances are she was already a little tired of Laban's chicanery. And the thought of being, you know, loved by a godly man and being married to such a man, she didn't want to put that off. It's notable that Isaac so loved Rebekah that unlike most of the patriarchs that you read about, including Abraham, he never married anyone else, only her. Pastor, can you love someone you've never seen? 1 Peter 1.8 ye might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, 
he loves. In whom thou know you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, the bridegroom, you're the bride, the bridegroom is coming, beloved. And meanwhile, the servant is here. He is here in this world to help us learn and long and look for that blessed hope. And he is here primarily not so that we would get fixated on the gifts, fixated on the, on the jewelry. He is here to draw attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring lost people into that same fold. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we know as we study your word, this book could not have been concocted by man, that these events that happened hundreds, even thousands of years before the book of Acts, before the Gospels, that these words, Father, perfectly foreshadow the work of the Holy Spirit and the calling out of your church unto you. And I pray, God, that we will recognize, Lord, that when your voice speaks to us, we should be as Rebecca and say, yes. Yes, we will go. Yes, we will surrender. And that we will recognize, Father, that, that real love not the love that's spoken of in Hollywood or in philosophy that has proven vapid and empty, but true love is from you and always by doing your will. And may we do it faithfully. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.